Thank you, Barry, and good morning, everyone. Um, well, Team GB are not doing too well so far on the old, in the old middle stakes, I don't think. But um, my aim this morning is to make sure that everyone here is a winner in this matter of running the Christian race. And I have a text, and it comes from that passage that Catherine read out to us a little while ago. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. If everyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now, I want at this point, at this early point, to put a, a government health warning on this. This is an illustration, an analogy, if you will, about the Christian life. And illustrations have limitations. An illustration tells us something, but not everything, about the thing it's supposed to illustrate. Take, for example, the famous line, my love is like a red, red rose. Does that mean that my love has a ruddy complexion and can be a bit prickly? Well, no. It simply means my love is beautiful. And so it is with this illustration of the Christian life as a race and the Christian as an athlete. Does it mean there's only one winner? Does it mean that we are saved by our own exertions? No. But what I think it does mean is this. Just as in sport, so it is in the Christian life. We cannot be successful unless we compete according to the rules. Now, every sport has its rules, doesn't it? Imagine a football game in which you could just pick up the ball and throw it into the net. Think of a tennis match where it simply didn't matter whether the ball landed in or out of the service area. Or what about a cycling race where there was nothing to say that you couldn't push your rival off his bike if he tried to overtake you? Well, without rules to say you couldn't do these things, it wouldn't be sport at all, would it? It would be chaos. It would be mayhem. And it's just so with the Christian life. So I have for you this morning nine rules for running the Christian race. Nine hurdles, if you will, like Jessica Ennis, if you know that one. Nine hurdles for getting us to the end of our race successfully. Well, in her case, they should have been ten, shouldn't they? But uh, somebody missed them out, missed one out. And rule number one is this. You've got to be in it to win it. Here's a picture of some crowds outside the Olympic Stadium in London. Now, on the evening, I think, of the 5th of August, there will be 80,000 people inside the stadium for the men's 100 metres final. But only eight will have any chance at all of winning it. Now, they are, of course, the eight runners who actually start the race. No one else has a chance at all. A person may have done all the training, bought all the gear, read all the coaching manuals, but he or she stands no chance of winning a race if he or she never even started it. And so in the same way, the Christian race begins with the very first step. 
Some people may know quite a lot about the Christian faith, but they've never actually started it. They are spectators and not participants. They are hearers, but not doers. They may have knowledge, but not faith. Opinions, but no actions. They may say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus, but don't obey his commands. Throughout his earthly life, Jesus went around saying to people, on many occasions, simply follow me. And some found excuses for never doing so, and others dropped what they're doing and began to follow him. After that, they may have had many things, many setbacks and pitfalls and obstacles, but they had made a start. And that's the first uh, thing in the Christian race. You've got to be in it to win it. But now second, our second rule is this. Be committed to it. Be committed to it. People talk a lot, don't they, about passion in sport. Who's that? Well done. Yes, Bill Shankly, former manager of Liverpool. And he had a famous saying that said, some people think that football is a matter of life and death. I don't like that attitude, he says. It's much more serious than that. You know who that is? No, more difficult one. Not even Martin. Vince Lombardi, an American football coach. And he said, winning isn't the most important thing. It's the only thing. So there's a couple of sayings about passion and commitment in sport. In the days of the ancient Olympics... Athletes were pledged to 10 months of disciplined preparation. And if they didn't discipline themselves properly, they weren't even allowed to enter the games. They would be disqualified. And uh, if, if this applies to sport, then how much more does it apply to something which is literally a matter of life and death, namely the Christian race? Can you feel the passion that runs through Paul's writing as he urges the Christians at Corinth to fight the Christian fight and to run the Christian race? I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There's passion and there's commitment there, isn't there? The Christian life is too important and actually too challenging for it to work as an occasional pastime. It demands commitment. It demands passion. Rule number three follows from that one, really, which is we need to train hard. Here's a lad enjoying his snacks in front of the TV. What are his chances, do you think, of winning next week's steeplechase? Fairly slim. Now, of course, we can easily spot the symptoms of overeating and overdrinking. We know a couch potato when we see one. We are well aware these days of the danger of smoking and drug abuse. But what about our spiritual health? If we could stand in front of a mirror as Paul told us earlier he had done last September, and see the reflection of our souls, what would they look like? And thank you, Paul, for what you said earlier. You're not alone 
but God has given you the courage to tell us about it. And that's a huge encouragement. What would our souls like if we too looked at ourselves in the mirror and could see them? Would they be flabby or fit? So Paul says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. It takes training. For the Christian, this is where developing good habits comes in. There is a place, an important place, what we sometimes call the spiritual disciplines, for developing, in other words, good habits of meditation, of prayer, of study, of simplicity, of confession and worship, and so on. Training and the development of good, solid habits is important. Rule number four, no pain, no gain. Who are these two women? They are both Paula Radcliffe, uh, the uh, agony and the ecstasy, both taken after she had completed a marathon. The one where she's crying, uh, she finished fourth and had suffered with her knee all the way through. And uh, the other one is where she'd finished and, as you can see, won it. And sports writers talk about uh, Paula's punishing training regime. She, she runs up to 150 miles every week. Plus, she has the pain of injuries and the agony of setbacks and disappointment. She tells us it's 50-50 as to whether she'll be able to compete in this year's Olympics. Every athlete knows there's no gain without pain. Now, this thought is actually very central to what Paul has been writing to Timothy in this letter. He says in verse 3 of our chapter uh, to Timothy, endure hardship with us. This is, as I say, a leading thought of this letter. It's as if Paul is saying this, right the way through the letter, I, Paul, am nearing the end of my Christian race. It has been a tough race, race, and I have endured many setbacks, hardships, and disappointments, but God's grace has seen me through. You, Timothy, are near the beginning of your Christian race, and you can expect exactly the same. Setbacks, disappointments, and difficulties, but God will see you too as well. Perhaps the leading theme, thought, of this letter And Jesus, too, was very clear. If we are not prepared to pick up our cross daily and follow him, then we cannot expect to receive the victor's crown. No pain, no gain. No cross, no crown. Rule number five, have a true aim. Every sport has an aim, doesn't it? The aim is to hit the target, or to score the most points, to be the last man standing, to cross the finishing line first, to lift the heaviest weight. Everyone has an aim. And so did Paul. One thing I do, he said, forgetting what's past and straining towards what's ahead, I press forward towards the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Now, are we clear, as Christians and as a church, about our goal, our aim? Well, let me remind you, this church has a vision for the year 2020, 
and it has milestones along the way so that together we have clarity over what we believe God has called us to. We need to have a true aim. Rule number six, be a team player. Some sports are intensely individual, aren't they? But others rely heavily on teamwork. I don't know which team that is, but it got where it did last season and the seasons before, uh, very largely uh, by very good teamwork, players playing with and for one another. And if a sport like football requires teamwork, so does following Jesus. People sometimes ask, don't they, can I be a Christian and yet not have to go to church? Well, actually, you know, the Bible does not teach that Christians should join the church. It goes much further than that. The Bible teaches that Christians are the church. Using the analogy of the body, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. To quote the title of a a book, none of us is good if detached. Rule number seven. Given that the the teams have leaders or captains, we need to follow our leader. Who's that? It's is Mike Brealey, correct. That's right. Now, Mike Brealey was a cricketer about uh, 30 years ago. He was not a very good batter. Uh, his batting average was under 23, which is poor for somebody who raised, uh, plays fairly regular test cric- uh, cricket. Believe me. Trust me. Um, but um, uh, in 1981, when the... English team was uh, losing match after match under Ian Botham's captaincy and was in the middle of a test series against our old rivals Australia, Mike Brealey was called back into the test team as captain. And he he galvanised it into spectacular success with Botham himself performing miracles with both bat and ball. Well, if that can be the case in sport, how much more has Jesus done for us as our leader? Here's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, which says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author. And the scholars tell us that word could easily be translated leader, the leader and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on him as our leader, the one who has gone before and in whose footsteps we follow. Because there is no challenge, no difficulty, no pain, no temptation to give up that we can experience that Jesus has not already experienced and triumphed over. We do not simply go where Jesus tells us to go. We go where he has gone before and where he still goes with us by his spirit. Rule number nine, strive to achieve your personal best. Last September, Patrick Macau of Kenya um, ran a marathon in two hours, three minutes and 38 seconds. And then in October of last year, Fauja Singh ran a marathon in just over eight hours. In May of this year, Claire Lomas finished the London Marathon in 16 days. But each of them achieved a personal best. In fact, each of them achieved a world record. 
Patrick Macau did uh, break the world record for the marathon. Fauja Singh broke the world record for somebody running a marathon over the age of 100. Can you believe it? And Claire Lomas became the first paraplegic, that's somebody paralysed from the waist down, to even complete a marathon. Each of them had achieved a personal best. So as Christians running the Christian way, can we say towards the end of our race and looking back, would we be able to say what Paul had said to Timothy? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Not comparing ourselves too much with one another because we are differently gifted and differently enabled. Are we striving to achieve our personal best for Jesus? And uh, that was rule number eight. Uh, And rule number nine is um, don't break the rules. In other words, no cheating. Different ways of cheating in sport, aren't there? There is the hand of Maradona from 1986. There is the even sadder uh, cases that continue to the present day of drug abuse, performance enhancement drugs in, uh, in, in sport, including Olympics. Uh, you may not be aware of this one. Back in 1980, Rosie Ruiz was first past the finishing line in the Boston Marathon with a record-breaking time of 2 hours, 31 minutes and 56 seconds. How does that compare with your time, Catherine? Um, uh, but uh, she had only run the last half mile she got into the underground uh, I think uh, and, uh, and just uh, came out from the crowd and joined uh, the competitor just the last half uh, a mile and she was disqualified of course and as the Catherine there <laughs> looking in the wrong place um, uh, so she had not run an honest race and so was, was disqualified Now, cheating is all about trying to gain an unfair advantage. But it's also about pretending to be what you are not. And there's a word for pretending to be what you are not. It's, that word is hypocrisy. Now, I don't recall Jesus ever threatening a prostitute or even a tax collector with hellfire. But boy, did he come down hard on religious hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. But those who knew that they were unfit for heaven, Jesus treated with unfailing kindness and infinite patience and compassion. Folks, let us be honest competitors, as those who shared with us earlier have been honest about successes and failures not pretending to be someone or something that we are not. And so, in conclusion, we have seen that as in sport, so it is in the Christian life. There are rules that we must obey if we are to receive the victor's crown. The rules are not there to stifle us, but to ensure that we play hard and play fair. Let us run our race so as not to be disqualified. Let us keep on keeping on. And we will find that God's grace, which has brought us safe thus far, will lead us safely home. And then each of us will finish our race as a victor. And we'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. 
and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. May God bless us all and give us all grace to run our race in his strength. Amen.